Welcome to the Nurse Leader Network Podcast with your host, Chris Racinos. Wherever you're going on your nurse leader journey, we're here to help you get there. Welcome, everybody, to the Nurse Leader Network. We are sitting here today on February 10th and have somebody who is in our presence that we have been waiting to hear from on the Nurse Leader Network. I'm just going to, like, without any ado, introduce Dr. Grant. Welcome, Dr. Grant. Thank you for having me. Delighted to be here. Okay, now, Dr. Grant, let's just get to the nitty-gritty. How did you decide to become a nurse, and then what was that path to becoming the president of the ANA? Oh, you don't waste any time. No, I don't waste any time. We want to know. We want to know details. <laughs> Inquiring minds want to know. Okay. <laughs> so while the, um, uh, how I got into nursing, uh, as I like to tell people, I originally wanted to go to med school and uh, become an anesthesiologist. Uh, but I was one of uh, the youngest of seven kids in my family, a single parent household. My father died when I was five. So, um, and we grew up very, very poor. And so even though my guidance counselor said, you may be able to get scholarships to go to undergraduate school, but you know, you need to have scholarships to go on through medical school as well. And so he suggested, uh, since you want to go into anesthesia, have you ever thought about being, you know, a, a nurse anesthetist? Never heard of the word until he had mentioned it. And uh, so, you know, we thought about that. And he said, well, you know, one thing you could do is you could go to nursing school, become a nurse anesthetist. And then if you still wanted to go to anesthesia, you know, the medical school, you could work your way through medical school as a nurse anesthetist and, you know, not have, you know, so many bills and things like that to pay for. And he said, well, you may not like nursing. So, you know, they have this one-year nursing program at the local community college. So why don't you go there? Uh, invest that year. And if you like it, you can easily transition to the second year and become, you know, get yourself an associate's degree and then, you know, go from there. Well, it sounded like the ideal thing to do. So about six months into my uh, LPN program, I totally forgot all about medical school. Nursing definitely was my calling and um, never looked back, (laughs) you know. So, uh, and then uh, how I uh, aspired to be uh, president of ANA course, I went back and pursued my baccalaureate degree and master's degree. And somewhere along the line with my, uh, my baccalaureate degree, probably about two weeks before I was due to graduate, a dear friend of mine came up to me and said, in her nice little Southern voice, <laughs> Ernie Grant, <laughs> she said, Ernie Grant, if you're going to consider yourself to be a professional nurse, then you need to join your professional nursing association. And I said, okay, Anne. And um, so sure enough, I did. I joined the North Carolina Nurses Association as well as ANA. Next thing I know, I was you know, on committees and things and being uh, told what a wonderful person I am. <laughs> That's always a great feeling. And, uh, yes. <laughs> you know, to pump you up. And the next thing I knew, I was uh, you know, chair of the, uh, you know, the, the membership committee, and, you know, which was to bring in tons of members. And I was actually very successful with that. And then they wanted me to run for president of NCNA. And I said, no, it's, you know, I did not see myself as that. But, you know, over the years, they kept approaching me. And I said, no, no. But, you know, sometimes people see leadership skills in you that you don't see yourself. And finally, after, you know, several years, and I do mean several years, you know, they finally, you know, roped me into, or I shouldn't say roped, but. It's uh, roped. We know how it is. We know how it goes. (laughs) talked me into, uh, you know, to running for president of NCNA. But prior to that, 
I had done a lot of work with ANA at the national level as well. I'd been involved on a number of ANA committees and such. And I think probably the very first House of Delegates meeting that I went to, went to, I got the bug and could see myself up there as president and even told the president at that time, you know, I'm going to be president of, uh, of ANA one day. Little did I know that it would probably be about, you know, about a 20-year span before that would happen, but it finally did. So here I am. <laughs> so tell me about that day, that day that you got the bug. What, what about that day was it that, you know, made you decide this is right. This is, this is where I want to go. I, I think it's, it was just getting caught up in the moment of re- realizing that how powerful nursing was and could be, how we are making policies that address the profession, how, you know, you are, you know, sent there as a, uh, as a delegate to represent your, you know, your colleagues. And as a result of that, you can easily, you know, see that, okay, what we talked about here in, in my little district of North Carolina and subsequently took to our state nurses association, now seeing this being implemented at the national level. So it just made everything just really crystal clear and how it all boiled down to essentially, in a way, that one person uh, and uh, that being the president who would perhaps take some of those agenda items and go up on Capitol Hill and work, even though we did it ourselves as delegates and et cetera, but it's the president who is going to be there along with our government affairs staff you know, working a little bit more, you know, setting down with members of Congress, talking with them about why, you know, it's important that this piece of legislation pass, either, you know, to help benefit nurses or help to generate, uh, you know, benefit the public in general, because, you know, that's one of the things that ANA advocates for, um, not only on the behalf of nurses, but also for the public's health too. So it just, um, it just seemed to just crystallize. So I could see myself doing that. Um, and voila. <laughs> What's next for you? So you accomplished a ton in your career. You've, you know, really helped prepare troops for deployment with your career in, in Burns. You've, I mean, you've been nationally recognized. Are we going to be calling you President Grant in another president term? Uh, not, not, just, not in that form. Um, <laughs> I have been, <laughs> I, I have been approached by uh, some uh, some colleagues to consider uh, when my turn, you know, this is my second turn as as president, so it will end December thirty first of uh, twenty twenty two, and uh, some uh, friends and colleagues have approached me about uh, considering the possibility of running for our state senate. Uh, right now in North Carolina, we do not have uh, we have three nurses, maybe four nurses that are in the North Carolina House. But we have never had a nurse in the North Carolina Senate. Uh, we did have one who, who ran last year. She came pretty close, but unfortunately, she was running against an incumbent and and uh, lost that race. But uh, but it was you know it's, it was a uh, a good effort and a good try. Uh, so I'd like to consider the uh, you know the possibility of that. But uh, we'll see. Right now, uh, you know, we just need to get us out of this uh, this crisis that we're in now with COVID <laughs> and. Uh, a few other things that, uh, you know, that we're working on, and then uh, we'll see. I, I love that you're thinking about that, because could you imagine politics if there were so many nurses in it that, like, we're the most trusted profession, so could you imagine how politics would flip on its head if the most trusted profession was running politics versus, 
I'm not going to mention versus what. Yeah, well, we'd be able to to solve a lot of healthcare issues. We'd be able to devote a lot of, you know, address public health, actually put a lot of money into public health. Public health has not had proper funding in over 20 years. And we all know, as COVID is pointing that out, these inequities and things that are happening, we need to address that because that's what it's going to take to prevent things like this, you know, the, the pandemic that we're seeing now, and also other huge uh, drivers of healthcare costs, such as, you know, being able to, to drive down, you know, hypertension, kidney disease, childhood immunizations, you know, things like that. If we can address those, you know, from the public health perspective with clean water, clean air, you know, uh, clean living environments and things like that, those are things where nurses really excel. So yes, if nurses were, <laughs> were there, uh, yeah, those issues could be addressed and, uh, and hopefully resolved. Definitely. I think we could take it from a holistic view and, I mean, even go beyond public health, right? Looking at like housing, Absolutely. how does getting folks into housing really impact and, you know, decrease the access issues that we have because yeah. now you Absolutely. have a place to live or store your insulin. So what would you tell, I mean, you and I have, it sounds like we have a similar upbringing in terms of being disadvantaged. I grew up here in Los Angeles as a foster kid. I had mm -hmm. my daughter when I was 14 and then in my 30s, like went on to become a nurse executive and get a PhD and all these kind of things that you don't typically think of, right? When you look at people from our background. So I know mm -hmm. we have listeners right now that are like, well, I'm just a nurse or I'm just somebody who has a background similar as what would you tell them around like what the potential for their you know, life is? Well, for me to hear that term, I'm just a nurse, it's, it's like fingers on a chalkboard uh, because you are more than a nurse. You are a change agent is the way I, I like to think of us because we're the most trusted profession, as you talked about. We are problem solvers. Uh, you know, so to me, to just belittle yourself to say that I'm just a nurse, that's, um, you know, that's not giving, uh, well, one, you don't have enough confidence in yourself. And number two, you don't have enough confidence in the profession to say, you know, that we are change agents and we're, we're, we're superheroes, you know, because we live in the community. We are a part of the community. What happens in the community affects us and our families just as it affects our neighbors next door. Uh, so. Nurses are looked to for leadership, for guidance, and it takes nurses speaking up and, you know, challenging the situation. And we're also innovators, you know, uh, show me a nurse who has not thought of a way or what we call a workaround, <laughs> you know, when, when something has been like a stumbling block. I cannot think of any nurse who has not said, that's what you think. You know, I'll show <laughs> you. Because we, you know, we, we think of ways to you know, to, to make things work the way they should. And even if it's, uh, if it's equipment that we're working with, or if it's a colleague, you know, a, another member of the healthcare team that we're working with, or if we're advocating on behalf of a patient, we're doing that. So you are more than, quote unquote, just a nurse. To me, you are a, a doer, you are a superhero, you are a change agent. And, uh, you know, and that's what uh, keeps us moving forward. I also would, <clears throat> would point out that the future of the profession itself, you know, once COVID is behind us and, you know, can't wait for that to, to happen. But, you know, it has, as I sort of stated earlier, shown the light on, on a lot of inequities. 
but it has also shown us some good things some uh you know uh with nursing such as telehealth telemedicine and how the advanced practice nurses are being able to you know the to have full practice authority and et cetera. people like that and i served notice to the last health and human services uh, secretary azar and when the uh you know and have had talks with the <clears throat> the secretary designate also about where we would like for the profession to go post covid because we're not going back you know the progress that we have made we need to keep moving forward with that. And one of the ways to address that, I think, is to get the public behind us for them to understand that they deserve a nurse who can advocate on, on their behalf. You know, if, you're, if we're the most trusted profession, then you need to get behind us and uh, fight for us just as much as we're fighting for you and fight for full practice authorities for, you know, the advanced practice nurse or even just for the, you know, the nurse at the bedside, you know, in some states, even nurses with baccalaureate de- degrees, there's a, you know, sort of a division, if you will, about, uh, you know, their limitations of what they can and can't do and uh, et cetera. We need to be able to use all the tools and things that we have at hand in order to provide the best possible care for those that we are caring for. So that's where I, you know, I think that person who says I'm just a nurse, they should realize that, uh, they're endowed with superhero powers. <laughs> uh, characters and powers and uh, being able to change the profession as well as change, change health and health care. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. You know, you know, we talked about kind of the future of nursing. It's not going back from, uh, you know, where it was. I, I'm seeing um, personally a lot of nurses leave, quote unquote, the profession. Maybe the bedside is the better um, term for it, and they're beginning their own business. So I'm seeing this explosion of nursing entrepreneurs and nursing innovators, which I think is fantastic. But yeah. how do we, I mean, we had to hear the nurse last year, and it's now being extended to this year. Mm-hmm. How do we as a profession really get the communities involved and behind the work that we're doing? How do we unify our voice to even begin to start that work this year? I think that starts with, uh, again, nurses being out there, like right now with the the vaccination process that's going on, this is a perfect opportunity for nurses to shine. You know, I have said in other interviews and uh, other writings and things that I've done, nurses need to be at the table. You know, you can't have these, uh, you know, these vaccine I don't know what the, I'm I'm missing a word here, but drives, I guess, Uh, you know, uh, without consulting a nurse, particularly if it's a public health nurse, because who knows the community best, you know? And so if you're at the table, if a nurse is at the table and they say, well, we're going to go hit, you know, this community here, well, a nurse can say, well, maybe not. There's not a good resource there that, you know, for us to, you know, to do it. Maybe there's not a, a large parking lot or there's not a large enough facility, be that a church or synagogue or, you know, whatever, or school that we can, we can use. Or it's not on a bus line so that people who are in the adjacent community who, you know, may have to, you know, that can't drive or whatever else, how are they going to, you know, to, to get to us? So maybe we need to rethink this. Maybe we need to move it over a couple of blocks to where we can get those people who um, can maybe just walk out of their house you know, walk down the street a little bit or around the block or whatever to get that vaccine, as opposed to, you know, having to, 
you know, have the vaccine so close, like within a, a mile or a three mile radius, but yet they still can't get there because they can't drive. Um, you know, they have no one who can bring them. There's no public transportation, you know, that's available for them. Little things like that is how we can do that. So, you know, by being at the table, having our voices heard, letting people in the community know and coordinating with people in the community as well, you know, what are the community resources? You know, uh, maybe if um, if they are going to have it there, maybe we can get one of the churches to say, okay, well, we'll run our church bus over to the community next door and have a central meeting place so we can get people to, you know, to load up on that, obviously practicing social distancing mm-hmm. and et cetera. But but still, it's a way to provide the transportation that maybe uh, we saw as a problem before. Now that transportation problem is solved because a nurse thought about, well, you know, the people over there, you know, they don't have that. But I know this church has, you know, several church buses or, or vans that we can use to, uh, you know, to get those, uh, those individuals there. So I, I think that's one way is to begin to have our, our voices heard in the community. I think the other one is um, going to city council meetings or town hall meetings or, you know, of course, attending them virtually now, but speaking up and having your voice heard, challenging, you know, the people who are making the decisions about the communities where you live and say, you know, you told us, you know, while you were running for office that you were going to address this, you know, the, this water problem. Well, the, the problem still exists. Or you were going to address this food desert problem. The problem still exists. There's no drugstores here for, you know, for older people to have access to. You know, what are you doing about that? You know, challenging them, you know, is, is one good way. And, and again, I think once people begin to realize that, hey, this person is advocating on our, our behalf and what they're saying is actually going to benefit the community that I live in, I'm going to get behind what, what they're saying and, and, you know, and join with them. And uh, hopefully that will be a groundswell. And as a result, you know, we can have a solution to those problems. Yeah. I've, I've talked to, I don't know if you know Mayor Haney. She's um, a nurse yeah. practitioner. Yeah. So yeah. I had her on one of the episodes of my shows and she really talked about getting people to you know, different um, meetings and really starting even like, at, you know, grassroots, local levels. Really. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think, I think what I see in a lot of nurses, like as a chief nursing officer, I'd see, you know, I just don't have the time or I don't have whatever, or there was a lot of like siloing, right? So a lot of mm-hmm. perhaps, you know, uh, things that were going on in the community didn't impact my specialty, right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm an L&D nurse um, and mm-hmm. you're not talking about, you know, statistics around pediatrics or labor and delivery, it's not something that interests me. How do we, how do we get nurses out of our self-imposed silos? We just, we silo ourselves. And I think that's a huge reason for why our voices are still not unified. Well, you know, you just gave a couple of good examples that I can expound upon because for that person who's involved in pediatrics or that person who's a maternal, you know, labor delivery or whatever, again, we already know statistics are already showing uh, specifically among black and brown, you know, uh, mothers, how their maternal health is, is in danger. You know, they're likely to die, you know, two to four times more than, the, you know, their, their uh, white female counterparts because of the, you know, the poor health that they may get, either, you know, prenatal care and et cetera. You know, if that's not enough to get somebody who is in labor and delivery, you know, fired up to, you know, to, to want to do something to change, then I don't know what, you know, what would be. Same thing with pediatrics. How do we know that 
you know, that our community is safe from uh, maybe guns, you know, how are we going to get guns off off the street or, or make sure that, uh, you know, the playgrounds where the kids go to play is a safe playground and not one where, you know, if they're sliding down a, a sliding board, uh, you know, they, you know, perhaps tumble down and, you know, and may sustain an injury. You know, those are some of the, you know, the little simple things that, you know, that we can still do as nurses. And, and, and you're going to do it as a parent because you can imagine what if it's my kids or my grandkids that are utilizing that park. I want to make sure that that park is safe. Or if it's, uh, you know, kids are going to be riding a bike. How do we know that, you know, why can't we, you know, challenge the town government to make bike lanes so that, you know, kids can ride safely in the, you know, the, the bike lanes? Pedestrians can walk safely on the street. Cars can drive, you know, and if necessary, put in speed bumps or whatever else. If it's a if it's a close enough neighborhood that uh, if you're noticing, you know, uh, speeders and things like that, those are just simple things. But you know, as a nurse, what you're doing is is preventive maintenance because you're preventing that child from possibly winding up in your local emergency room with a closed head injury or a broken arm or leg or whatever else as a result of that. And all it takes is just your your advocating. So. It starts small, and you know, and and even if it's something that perhaps you're you're unsure of, or or you know, maybe you don't want to be you know really out there, but you specialize in something. So even if it's just volunteering, maybe at the you know the local PTA, or if it's um, you know a uh, uh, a a congressman or your local you know state senator or representative, you know, volunteer to serve as their healthcare expert. Um, you know, you can be behind the scenes, but you can also explain to them, you know, if you vote this way on this particular piece of legislation, these are the people in your, this is how it's going to affect the people in the community that you represent, you know, or, you know, let's give them the true factual information. Because in a lot of cases, their assistants, you know, they get stuff off of uh, Google or, <laughs> or Wikipedia or, or whatever else. <laughs> You know, they really don't have the healthcare background. So by saying, you know, I want to volunteer to be your healthcare expert. And even though you may not know nothing about whatever particular thing there, you know, we're nurses. We know how to network. We know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody <laughs> that can, you know, come in and give us a brief synopsis or, or arrange a meeting with that candidate or whatever and say, you know, here's the, here's the history behind this and this and this. And you know, and your piece of legislation or the legislation that's before you, this is how it's going to help or this is how it's going to hinder healthcare and and the uh, growth within the community. So you can start small or you can, you know, go big. Even signing up for, uh, you know, like at at ANA, we have the RN Action Alerts, you know, when there are things that are going on, even just to, you know, we'll send you an email, you fill out your, your email content and everything else, put in your zip code, it automatically identifies who your elected member of the House is, who your senator is, and bam, that letter has gone off to them. All you did was took 30 seconds to fill in your name, your email, but, you know, you, and, you know, you may think, oh, well, they're just going to think it's another email. But I will say that last year when we sent out a uh, particular email uh, alert, we got over half a million response. So we got the attention of Congress, you know, because actually we were actually up for an award because of how many people responded to that particular piece of uh, of uh, legislation that was there. So don't tell me that just spending that 30 seconds isn't worth it. It is definitely worth it. He's preaching over here, folks. So uh, it's time to start. <laughs> yes, yeah, so now we just the... have to pass the, <laughs> pass the plate. <laughs> oh, I love it. 
Okay, so for those nurses that are trying to get their seats at the table, what is mm-hmm. the best piece of career advice you have ever been given that we could start utilizing? I think the, the best piece of advice, one, find yourself uh, not a mentor. I, I'd find two or three. <laughs> But definitely people that you, you know, that, that you know, and, and say, I'd like to, you know, um, you know, would you be my mentor or whatever? You know, I, I have plenty that I go to, you know, over the, the years. Um, there's one, uh, he's an elderly gentleman. His name is uh, uh, Dr. Gene Tranbarger. Gene is like, I think he's about 80. I hope you don't mind me telling his age. He's about <laughs> 87 now. And, you know, and in my role as president, you know, when I called Gene to let him know that, you know, the first time that I, I had won the presidency, he said, well, I'm very happy for you, but be careful what you wish for. <laughs> he sounds like a wise yeah. guy. And, yeah, he is. He's very wise. And then he's, uh, you know, I've called him before on, on several other things. And, and, you know, his comments were, well, you already know what you need to do. You're just using me as a sounding board, you know. And, you know, so that's the, you know, that's one of the, you know, the mentors that, that I know. In other words, he's just confirming for me what I already know that, that I need to do. And then there are others that I can, you know, bounce things off and, you know, they'll give me some, you know, some thoughts and, and things to, uh, you know, to, to think about. So that's the reason I said that you need to have more than, than one, in my opinion. The other thing is, you know, as nurses, we're already prepared to be leaders. You know, when you're the charge nurse on your unit, what are you doing? You're leading, right? You're, you know, you're assessing the situation. You're making the, you know, the, the, the best decision for your colleague and for the patient that they may be caring for and presenting that to the rest of the healthcare team and saying, you know, standing up and advocating. That's what leaders do. So it starts there. It also starts when you are on various committees within your facility. And I say hospitals, but it could be long-term care, it could be public health or whatever. But you start right there. And, uh, you know, when you are on, say, a governance committee and you begin to see a problem, but you begin to you know, to, to make recommendations. How can we attack this or how can we address this particular issue so that it's fair and it's just for everyone all the way around? That's leadership. So that's how you get started. And then, you know, I always um, tell students whenever I speak with students, there are three nursing organizations you need to join. One is your state nurses association. The other one is ANA, which are usually, you know, co, uh, you know, joint membership. And then the third is your specialty organization. With those three memberships there, everything you need to know about the particular specialty in which you practice is covered, you know. And so, and then become active. And notice I used the word active members in those associations. Oh, it's not one just thing push the one little button. In the row. Right. It's one thing to have your names on the roll. It's another thing to actively participate. And how do you do that? You do just like I did. You start out by joining committees, being put on committees and et cetera, and, uh, you know, and, and going from there. And the more confidence that you get, you know, the more, you know, if you want to, to move up, then you continue to do that. It's a great opportunity to network and, uh, and grow strength that way as well. But that's, that's how I think nurses get a, a seat at the table. And, and we don't, it doesn't necessarily have to be a healthcare-related table either. It could be, you know, uh, like maybe at your church or synagogue. You know, I serve on uh, the COVID task force at my church, you know, and, uh, you know, in addition to, <laughs> to everything else. That Not I'm doing, like you have nothing I, else to do. Right, right. And, <laughs> I, and I, couldn't, I, I couldn't say no to the pastor when he, when he came through. And, you know, so it's myself and I, I think three other people with healthcare backgrounds, uh, you know, that are 
you know, because my, my church has a, uh, we feed uh, homeless uh, three times a day, uh, as well as offer, uh, you know, shelter for them on, you know, uh, white flag nights and et cetera. And, um, and, and they are there to, uh, you know, we offer uh, courses where they can learn how to fill out resumes and things like that. So when COVID hit, you know, there was, a, you know, all that, you know, sort of had to stop because you, you, you couldn't have them confined inside the buildings. But, you know, so they, they needed guidance. So that's another way, again, to have a seat at the table is to, you know, maybe it's not necessarily healthcare related, like, you know, in your state nurses association or whatever else, but, uh, you know, it is being at the table at something that has an influence on public health and safety. Now, you mentioned, I'm going to go back to your mentors that you have several of them and you recommend several mm-hmm. of them. What are your thoughts around, like, if I'm seeking mentors, should I be looking at diversity in mentors? Like, should there be diversity in age and uh, different professions that they're in? Like, how do you pick a good mentor? Because I know that I've seen folks that I'm like, oh, I'd like to be mentored by them. And I've asked to be mentored by them. And I was like, "Mm, this isn't exactly what I was looking for. Uh, So how do we pick? How do we pick our mentors? Well, uh How'd you pick your mentors? It's the way, well, <laughs> well, who would say no to Ernest? Right? <laughs> you make no, me choke on my coffee over here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, my, uh, uh, you know, that's, that's a um, really good question. To me, it, it should be like an interview at the first, you know, because, uh, you know, I have obviously a number of people who come to me and say, would you be my mentor and et cetera. And, and, I sort of have to interview them and say, are we compatible? You know, are you, you know, do you, you know, how do you take advice? Uh, You know, um, do you, you know, if if I'm really going to mentor you, then that means that I shouldn't be the one initiating the, you know, communication and et cetera. It should be you coming to me, keeping me informed of your progress and et cetera. You know, and, you know, occasionally I I will do it as well. But, um, but the whole idea is that it's an investment. And it's an investment that will grow. And yes, I think you do need to have mentors of both sexes. I think you need to have mentors varying in, in age, uh, in experience, and also inside and outside of your profession. Because again, um, you know, you, you never can tell where you're going to uh, wind up, or you may be introduced to someone who may be totally removed from healthcare, but that could be a connection that could get you to where you you know you need to be. Uh, you know, either healthcare related, i.e., like if I were to be introduced to to my uh, my governor, uh, who you know, I mean, I, I have, but you know, I mean, my governor is an attorney. You know, his background is an attorney, nothing to do with healthcare. But if he had been introduced to me by you know by someone that he trusted or or knew, and you know, maybe he's looking for an appointment on a uh, you know healthcare committee or something, so he may go to that person and say. Yeah, I'm looking to appoint somebody to, I don't know, uh, maybe, um, you know, the uh, child care task force or something. You know, you have anybody in mind? And, you know, and the person that I have uh, have mentored or whatever, or that I'm a mentee to may say, yeah, no, just a person. You know, you remember when I introduced you to, you know, to that Ernest Grant guy, you know, and, you know, the governor may go, yeah, it doesn't sound familiar. <laughs> you know, but And then he'll say, well, you know, he's that tall six foot, six and a half. <laughs> You know, like, oh, yeah, yeah, him. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, he would be great. And then could could name off, you know, your qualifications. You know, 
here's why you should consider him. Da 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 da. Next thing you know, you're getting a letter from the governor saying, "Hey, would you be interested in you know we're considering appointing you to to this committee? Would you be interested in in serving?" So that's a you know that's a, a good way or a good example of how having a mix of um, of mentors can you know help to you know boost your uh, you know your uh, career, if you will, or or your ability to to really uh, continue to be a change agent. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. I, I think sometimes I've learned so much more from my mentors that are outside of mm-hmm. healthcare um, because mm-hmm. they just give me a different worldview in which to look Absolutely. at problems, right, and solutions. So definitely, yeah. yeah. Because you're looking through it from a, a different angle. You know, and one of the things uh, I know that we in healthcare, we tend to have blinders on. And we're just seeing it from our perspective. You know, we don't see it from the perspective of, you know, like, well, same thing like, take, for example, the language that we use. You know, nobody understands, you know, uh, except other members of the healthcare team, you know, the the foreign language, if you will, that, that <laughs> we is. do, you know, that, that jargon and, uh, and, and writing and such. Um, but you need to have a, a mentor from the outside to say, speak to me in plain English. You know, what are you saying? And then when we even try to, you know, still, you know, no, bring it down a little bit more, bring it down a little bit more, you know, make it simple, you know, give me just the facts, you know, type thing. It makes you a a better individual, a better way to really realize that, hey, I've only got this person's attention for maybe 30 seconds. So how am I going to frame this conversation to really, you know, get my point across and uh, leave a lasting impression and not look like a, you know, a a bumbling idiot, so to speak, uh, you know, after I you know, was given the opportunity to make a first impression and I, you know, I fumbled it. Yeah, I agree. What, so you gave us the tip on the, the piece of advice. What is one habit that you have that you think has contributed to your success? Like what can we, what kind of habits should we be picking up? <laughs> Mine is have like 20 cups of coffee a day, but, um, <laughs> I can only I can only do two cups. So I, I, I think uh, probably one of my my habits is uh, uh, I'm a very inquisitive person, you know, and uh, it, it's weird that I say this because uh, I have a you know one one of my two sisters, the one that's closest to me. I'm, I'm the youngest, as I said, of seven. So um, there's a sister who is two years older than I am, and. Uh, I thought I was inquisitive, but she's she, she's worse. Uh, yeah, <laughs> oh, so, your poor mother. <laughs> no, well, but here's uh, no. I there was a method to 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 my inquisitiveness. In in her case, there is not. Um, <laughs> you know, so so I, I I think by you know my method to being inquisitive is to show people that yes, I am interested in what you're doing. Uh, you know, and enlighten me and, you know, let me, you know, sort of think along the same lines that you're thinking or, you know, have that same framework so that, um, you know, I can see it through through your eyes and am I seeing the correct thing? Or let's sit down and have a dialogue about what I'm seeing versus what you're seeing. And, you know, maybe you know, we can have growth from that. You know, so that's, you uh, you know, pretty much what I would say is one of my my habits is uh, is being very inquisitive. I love that. Sometimes I have to I have to like remind myself go into inquisitive mm-hmm. mode because you're when you when you lead teams you're frequently like the person that has the answers or that is seeking to get the answers. But sometimes you just like most of the times you just got to sit there and really 
um, seek to get others, you know, input and kind of just kind of see things from their frame of reference, which is why I think diversity is such a huge piece of being a leader and such a huge piece of healthcare. Speaking about diversity, what are some thoughts that you might have around how we can really begin to not only uh, diversify at like who's sitting at the table. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we talk about who's sitting at the table and I was uh, talking to a, a friend of mine and we were like examining, I saw this like little pie and it said it was around the time of the insurrection. And it mm-hmm. said um, that there was, I think like 90, I'm making it up, but I think it was like 90 something percent of politicians were white males over 65 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they only represent, I think it was like 2% of the population or something mm-hmm. like that. And so I, I was, after I saw that, I was thinking about like my own experience as a healthcare executive. And there wasn't many people that looked like me, both in my age or in my color. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, when we look at that is a very representative group of who's leading healthcare. And a lot of them are not in nurses, right? They're, we're, we have right. folks that are not nurses that are leading our practice. What are your thoughts around how we can really change that? you know, dynamic of who's actually leading these organizations and how to get more diverse, both at the local level, but, you know, within communities, on organizations, teams? Well, Chris, uh, ever since you started asking that question, I've been really aching to, to just give, <laughs> give you the, the answer. There. <laughs> give it to me. So, so, uh, so and it's, it's sort of going to be a, a long answer, but work with me and we'll, we'll get there. So the, the first thing, when I speak with students, one of the things that I say, you know, is I'm trying to encourage them to, you know, to join their professional organizations and et cetera. One of my favorite sayings is if you're not at the table, then you're on the menu. Okay. Because if you don't have a say so in how your profession is practiced, just as you were saying, someone far removed from nursing is going to be making those decisions for you. And I'm sorry, but, you know, in order to, you know, one of the definitions of a profession is that you have self-governance, that you have your own body of work, your own body of research, your own body of literature and things like this. So um, how can it be that as nurses, we sit around and let someone with an MBA make a decision as to uh, how we're going to practice or how many nurses are going to be needed on this particular floor or whatever else? Because what they're seeing, they're looking at the numbers. They're not seeing you know, the empathy that it may take to stay a little bit longer with Miss Smith because she's afraid. This is her first hospitalization and she's just been told maybe she has cancer or she's got to have surgery or, you know, something like that. And, you know, so you got to spend a little bit more time with her as opposed to somebody who's crunching numbers and saying, well, you should only spend, you know, uh, maybe 1.8 hours with this person for your whole 12-hour shift. You know, I'm sorry, but, you know, we got to think you know, a little better than that and come at that from a different angle. So how do we go about doing that change? I I think it starts first in middle school. And the reason I say middle school is that as nurses, all nurses, you know, no matter your, your ethnic origin, no matter your gender, we need to go in and start talking with those little young kids that are in the fourth and fifth grade or whatever, planting in their minds. And this is something that I do, another organization that I belong to. We've adopted a a local elementary school in the Durham area. And to go in there, uh, you know, now, as I mentioned, I am six foot six. So you can imagine I'm a very imposing (laughs) person for those, 
you know, for those little boys and girls. But if they can see that, hey, if this big, you know, big guy here, if he can be a nurse, then maybe why can't I, you know, um, you know, begin to think about it. And you, you know, in order to be a nurse, you still are taking those, God, what are the courses called? The oh. STEM courses. You know, you're, you're We're both like to fumbling over yeah, here. Sorry, I, have, <laughs> I haven't had enough coffee, apparently. <laughs> but, you know, you're going to take those STEM courses and things like that. And not everybody's going to be a rocket scientist. Not everybody's going to be a chemist and, you know, et cetera. And, you know, to me, to be a nurse, you're, you're doing all that because I, I do know nurses who do work with rocket scientists that, you know, that help to put, you know, the uh, space shuttles, you know, uh, you know, to travel in space and, you know, things of that sort. So we can get them to start thinking about the profession this way. And then, you know, it goes on to, you know, uh, entry level into nursing programs. And one of the things that I have when I have conversations with deans of uh, colleges and schools of nursing, you know, I try to tell them, you know, one day as you're walking into your building, Stop and think of yourself as a minority walking into your building and take it from the perspective that a minority would have. Look around. How many minority faculties do you see? What are their ranks? Are they just instructors? Are, are they assistant or associate professors? Are they full professors? Are they, do they hold an endowed chair? What kind of pictures do I see on the wall of you know, your alumni or whatever else? Is it creating an opening and welcoming atmosphere, or are you telling me you don't belong here, you know, in, in a very subtle language? And what are you doing to specifically recruit more minorities into your nursing program? You know, that says a lot to me, you know, that way, if you're, you know, if you're not doing that, then what you're telling me, if I'm a prospective student and I'm walking through your halls, and I don't see someone who looks like me within, say, the first five minutes or so, you know, you've just told me, you know, you're not welcome here. We want your money, <laughs> but you're not welcome here. And also, what do you have in place to keep me there? In other words, uh, if I'm going to struggle, do you have something in place that you don't want to see me fail? Are you putting in, uh, do you have in place something that maybe will help me? Maybe I don't have the latest laptop, you know, so, uh, you know, uh, or maybe I don't have uh, the, the World Wide Web at home. I may have to go down the street to study at the, the, the library, which is going to close at 10 or something like that. Or not even yeah. open because of the pandemic. Yeah, it may not even be open. Yeah. So, so maybe, you know, looking at that and say, oh, well, we can provide you with this little hotspot, you know, where you could still get, uh, you know, have access to the Internet and, you know, connect to things and et cetera. So that says a lot there as well. The other thing when it comes to employment, you know, to the employer, you know, do you mostly hire nurses, uh, nursing students from one particular program that may not have a uh, you know, diverse uh, or diversified class? Or do you hire from all over? Do you only hire baccalaureate nurses or do you hire, you know, a, a good mix of diploma, baccalaureate and associate degree nurses? When there are times for potential for um, uh, promotion, you know, do you specifically, you know, look for a minority or do you hold them back by saying, well, this person only has an associate degree, so we only want people with a baccalaureate degree or higher, instead of saying, yeah, you fit the, the mold. I know you only have an associate degree, but if you promise me you'll start working on your baccalaureate you know, in a certain amount of time and we'll help you to get there, 
then you know I'm going to take a you know take a chance on you, and also offering you know what about the potential for you know chief nursing officers to uh, you know to spot potential leaders who may be minorities, and you know have have like a leadership academy within your own organization, you know to bring that individual along so that you're doing succession planning because you've already got somebody who is endeared to the organization. And maybe sometimes, yes, it is good to bring somebody out from the outside in to, you know, to help promote change. But, you know, if not necessary, then grow your own leadership. And, you know, that person is going to be so loyal to the organization because they're going to say, these people have invested in me. And, you know, so when it is time for me to move on up the ladder, I'm going to do that. But then also I'm going to reach back and, you know, bring those behind me as well. So, you know, that's sort of a you know beginning start of that. But uh, I said it was going to be a long answer. So. It wasn't that long, but you 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 just brought up some great points and you made me actually think when you said so I my hospital I started us on a, a magnet journey back when I mm-hmm. um, first started there and we were moving from. Uh, get not hiring associates mm-hmm. degree nurses and just hiring mm-hmm. bachelors, right? Because we wanted to become mm-hmm. magnet. And yes, so right. I'm now wondering, like, what is the impact of leaders who are trying to go for magnet um, mm-hmm. in terms of who they're recruiting? Because you're right, a lot of, especially in Los Angeles, a lot of mm-hmm. nurses, there's still a lot of ADN programs here. Mm-hmm. And how yeah. different are the graduates in terms of diversity from an ADN yeah. program to it from a BSN? So that's a huge point, I think, yeah. for leaders that are listening to really reflect on because we could be do, shooting ourselves in the foot around diversity if Absolutely. we're, yeah. Absolutely. So that- and, and one of the things that uh, that's been put in place in a lot of things is that, well, we'll, we'll hire, you know, associates, but it's with the understanding that within, you know, 18 months, you've got to start working on your baccalaureate degree. And I, I don't know, you know, out there in California, but I know here, uh, well, the particular hospital that I worked at and retired from, they did the same thing, but they also, you know, it was a state institution. So you're being a state employee, you were allowed to take X amount of, uh, well, you could take six hours of, of classes, you know, tuition free. So um, you either, if it wasn't one of the state schools, um, if you were doing an online course or whatever else, you had to pay the money up front, pass the course, but you got your tuition, you know, reimbursed. Or the hospital also offered, um, you know, on-site classes, for you to be, you know to be able to obtain your baccalaureate degree, so really there was no excuse for anyone, you know, uh, with a diploma because there's a, a uh, well, it's soon to be changing to a baccalaureate program, but we have one of the oldest diploma uh, programs you know near here as well, um, you know, so there was absolutely no excuse for you not to you know uh, if you wanted to progress, uh, you know. It, you know, the opportunity was there for you to, you know, to do that. And that's one of the ways too, that, you know, when they uh, qualified or requalified for, for magnet, that's how they would, would meet that designation as well as to say, we have a career advancement program for, you know, the associate degree nurses that we do uh, hire. And it's with the, you know, they are hired with the understanding that within um, 18 months, they should be working on their, their baccalaureate degree or, you know, we'd have to uh, have a little talk. Yeah. 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 I know here in California, um, most hospitals do have that reimbursement or they'll even pay for them to take time off. But um, most hospitals also that are in magnet, that is the lowest bar. You can't even, if you apply without a bachelor's, you're not even going to get an interview. So that's, it's kind of like a closed door. So we probably need to revisit some of those policies. 
Well, listen, Dr. Grant, I could talk to you forever and ever. Uh, this has been a fantastic uh, meeting. I'm, I'm so glad we were able to connect and pull some pearls and wisdom from you for all of the listeners. Um, I just want to say thank you so much um, to you and thanks to all the listeners for Nurse Leader Network. This has been fantastic. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. I totally enjoyed the uh, the, the conversation and uh, hopefully uh, maybe I'll be invited back to uh, to continue this. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. Are we off air? <laughs>